I'm Rob Goodwin, a writer, director, and podcaster, and this is Deep South Humor and Heart. Well, I can't believe it, but it's already July. Uh, Believe me, in the South, it feels like it, too. It is a hot and humid day, but it is a new day for Deep South Humor and Heart because I'm joined by a friend who's going to be my full-time co-host. I'm so excited about it. She's also an author, and she's a country girl from Bibb County. Please welcome Stacey Averett to the show. Welcome back, Stacey. Thank you. It's good to be here. This is actually your second show with me, but we've agreed to be partners in crime mm-hmm. on Deep South Humor and Heart, and I really appreciate you being here. I'm excited to uh, see what we turn out together. Yep, it's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to it. Well, good. Now, Stacy, um, just to remind you, uh, is the author of When Life is Hard, 50 Reminders That God is Near. And we'll talk a little bit about some of the uh, entries in that book, some of her chapters as we go along as well. It's a great spiritual read. Um, and as you know, I have a new book coming out called Cotton People. It'll be out hopefully later this year. So we're both active writers, and we, we do this thing every month. We try to do it every month, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Where we get together and we call it the Riders Coffee Break. Mm -hmm. And we meet at a little coffee shop in town called Redbird. Now, I don't drink coffee. You're you're kind of a coffee person. I'm kind of a coffee drinker, but for whatever reason, when you and I meet, I have tea. Yes. It's it's good. I like the peach green tea, mm-hmm. unsweet with two sweetened lows. Mm-hmm. So that's my Very thing. Very good. And the, you know, the interesting thing about the Redbird, well, first of all, the atmosphere is fantastic there. It is. I, I yeah. love it there. But they do this thing where you just tell them the price you want to pay. Mm-hmm. They'll give you a suggested price, but then you give them the price you want to pay, and you can just pay that. Of course, I always just pay what they tell me it is. Mm-hmm. Plus, plus a, a tip. Plus a tip, yeah. <laughs> but I think it's great for being in a college town. Yes. You know, because if you have a college student that comes in, they've only got three bucks and it's right. it's four fifty for the drink, then That's right. you're not really making them feel so bad about it. So, yeah. Well, speaking of the heat and humidity, um, are you a fan of summer? Uh, no. I'm over it already. Already? Yeah. 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 Um, I, I, I don't like to swim. I don't like to sit in the sun. I want to stay in the shade and the cool breeze and drink something like cold green tea. So, okay. Well, you know, I remember growing up that we, we had like four defined seasons yes. in Alabama and there was no such thing as, you know, the heat carrying over into late fall or even the winter carrying over into late spring, mm-hmm. but it's so unpredictable. Now, and I, I guess instead of complaining, I should say we had a mild summer to begin with um, because most of, well, late spring was actually spring this year. Yes, it was. Instead of the hot humidity that we have today um, in the in the midst of summer. But I'm curious, back in Bibb County, what did you guys do to cool off during the summers? Um, well, I had, a, I had a few friends that had, you know, they had a swimming pool and that was fun to go swimming with friends, but um, most of the time we would go to the creek and, um, you know, you wore cutoffs and a tank top and um, flip flops and you flopped around in the creek and tried to stay cool and took a picnic and 
um, that's every almost every Sunday afternoon in the summer. Um, and that was back in the day when you loaded up in the back of somebody's pickup truck. Um, so, you know, sometimes it was my daddy, sometimes it was a friend, but um, there would be, you know, several of us, friends from church, friends from school, and we'd go to a nearby creek. It was freezing cold. It was always cold, uh, no matter how um, the water was, no matter how hot it was, you know, temperature-wise, the water never got warm, which, I mean, that's what you go swimming for when it's... Right. You need a cool temperature. Yeah, when it's 90 degrees. Right. Well, I can still hear my granny say, uh, squirchins itself with the hose pipe. <laughs> because we would run around so hot and sweaty in the yard. And this was before we, we did get an above ground pool, probably uh -huh. by the time I was in my early teens. But I can remember my grandmother would tell us she'd get the hose pipe out. Um, now, you know, nowadays they call it the water hose, but yeah. we always called it the hose pipe. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And we'd get that out and squirt each other and run around in the yard and, you know, dance around in the in the water from the hose pipe. And it was always ice cold because we had a well. Uh -huh. We had an 80-foot well, and you don't get any colder than that water. Mm -hmm. But I'll tell you something else is that we didn't have air conditioning. We had no air conditioning in our house the entire time that I lived at home. Wow my entire 18, 19 years. Um, we had a mobile home that had a couple of rooms built onto it and we did box fans in the windows mm -hmm. and that's how we cooled off during the summer. And plus, I mean, during the summer we stayed outside, we got in the pool or we did the water hose, the hose pipe, those kinds of things. But my mother worked third shift in the cotton mill and I always wondered how in the world can she sleep in the middle of the daytime in this heat with just mm -hmm. box fans in the windows. I mean, can you even imagine? Well, I, I, yes, because I kind of grew up the same way. I mean, we didn't have, um, you know, like central heat and air the way we do now. We had, um, we had a window unit, and of course, you only had a window unit in, in like one room, maybe the kitchen and the living room, kind of mm -hmm. where everybody gathered. But um, when I was growing up, we had an attic fan. Do you know what an attic fan yes. is? So in the heat of the summer, um, especially at night, we didn't really run it during the day because it was too hot. But after it cooled off at night, Daddy would open up that attic fan, and then you'd open up your um, your wind your windows, like the window in the bedroom, and it would just about blow the hair off your head. That you know that, that air. air coming across there, and I, I you know I, I hadn't really thought too much about the whole air conditioning thing, um, but now that you say that, um, I, we we didn't have that either, but. We stayed outside all the time, so if you went inside, I guess it was always a little cooler in there, but mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I guess we just... We were just used to we it. We adapt, yeah. Right. Well, and my mother, I, recently I was talking to her, but she has a window unit now. She uh -huh. still lives in the same home that I grew up in, and she has a window unit now in her living room, and she'll say, well, I... It got so bad today. I turn I turn the air conditioner on, <laughs> and I just say, "Mom, I I don't understand how you can handle that." And she'll say, "Oh, I'm happy with an oscillating fan, you know, or something like that." And she'll say, "I'm not cityfied like you are. I grew mm -hmm. up, you know, I grew up having to go to the creek if mm -hmm. you were too hot, um, you know, that kind of thing. They they didn't even have running water at the house. They had to go to the creek 
you know, and mm-hmm. get their water and tote it back to the house and, mm-hmm. you know, heat it up and use water from the creek, basically, before they got, you know, running water at their house. It took a while to have a well and, you know, those kinds of things. So, so she's accustomed to that, and she's always telling me that I'm, I'm city-fied. Um, so I do live, well, you and I both, we don't live far from each other, but we mm-hmm. live in town. Um, I wouldn't really call it the city um, because we live in a small town Jacksonville, Alabama, but it's definitely town. It's more, it's more in the city than where I grew up. Right. Well, um, yeah, definitely me too. Yeah. Even, even the city part of the city where I grew up wasn't the city like this is the city. Right. Um, very rural. And so, okay. So let me ask you a question about the, back to the hose pipe. Okay. Did, now it was well water. So this is different. Did you drink? out of the hose pipe. Oh, for sure. Like, nobody does that anymore. It was the best tasting water ever. Yeah. It's so and cold. mine wasn't well water, but we drank out. If you if you were outside and you got thirsty, mm. you just went to the hose pipe. Right. Oh, sure. Yeah, there's no such thing as bottled water. I remember, um, I remember I was probably um, maybe high school, junior high. I might have been younger than that. But I remember my granddaddy saying, one of these days they're going to sell, you're going to have to you're going to have to buy water to drink. Wow. And, you know, we just remember thinking, what are you talking about? You know, um, but I guess, I guess he, he owned a, he owned a business kind of so a general he, store. Right. kind of. So he saw, he had lived long enough to see things change that way. Right. But, hmm. Well, I, I love the taste of water from a hose pipe, especially well water. Mm-hmm. And I could tell the difference when we would go to, my paternal grandmother's house who who was on county water mm-hmm. and she always had a dipper hanging on her uh, wind on her cur- on her windowsill or you know wherever she could hang the dipper and everybody drank out of that one dipper you know mm-hmm. if you needed a drink of water you went to the sink and you turned it on and put it in the dipper and you drank out of the dipper and then you hung the dipper back up and there was no such things as you know bottles of water and really you didn't make yourself a glass of ice water either you didn't mess up a dish for a drink of water if you needed water you used that dipper well at my house do you remember when orange juice came in glass uh jugs yes yes okay I do. so at my house there was always a glass jug of of course tap water Mm -hmm. and we'd fill it up put it in the refrigerator and it had that little metal uh, top on it and um me my sister mother daddy anybody that wanted a cold drink of water you drank right out of the jug you didn't dare pour it in a glass we would i mean and if friends came over (laughs) they would drink Drink out out of of the jug Nobody would do that. Well, that now. sounds like some good water, though. Out of it a, was some good water. I love a glass container with water in it. I, sometimes um, I'll use a wine bottle, like one of those clear wine yes. bottles that has the little top that flips down yes. on it. Um, I'll use that and put water in it because once it gets cold, it is it's so good. good. Water, it's yeah. so good. Well, I'm drinking um, the city of Jacksonville tap water right now in my. Well, I'm drinking a bottle of Pure Life water, so... So, you're more city-fied than so I am. So, I am city-fied. Yep. What if Mom's right. Yeah. So, when I moved into the city, when I moved into town, into this house, I've been here eight summers now, mm. um, and she came over. Now, she... Remember, I said she has an above-ground pool now, and she loves it. She loves to get in her 
um, above ground pool and walk around. She says it's really good for her knees and her mm-hmm. hips and things like that. But so I kept trying to convince her to get in the pool here. Uh, you know, we had our first get togethers during the summer and I would encourage her to get in the pool. And she said to me one day, Robbie, a woman ain't got no business swimming in the middle of town. <laughs> so she would not get in my pool at all until maybe like the second or third summer because she just felt like because and, people and I, could see her yes i guess and you know i'm in a subdivision uh-huh. so it's not like you know i'm overlooking main street right. or anything like that it's a subdivision but there are houses around but we have a fence up you know and that kind of thing so but finally she got to the point that she um that she was um you know, willing to get in the pool, and then now she gets in every summer. So, but yeah, she tells me all the time I'm city-fied. City-fied. And I'll take that. I'll take that. Yeah. Well, speaking of being maybe a little bit different than our relatives, let's talk about the fact that you and I are both creative. Mm-hmm. So that's really what I, I think our friendship has been built on, the mm-hmm. fact that we found the creative side of each other, and it's it's built from there. Um, where do you, where do you think your creativity comes from? Um, definitely from my, uh, from my parents and my grandparents. But the funny thing is I didn't, I would have never, uh, referred to myself as creative. As a matter of fact, I grew up saying, um, in my teens, in my twenties, maybe a little bit into my thirties saying if somebody would talk about creativity, my response was, oh, I'm not creative. Because in my mind, I had a specific idea about what it meant to be creative. It meant uh, you could paint, you could draw, you could play an instrument, you could sing. I I couldn't really do any of those things in an artistic sort of way. Mm -hmm. Um, But once I I started to, I I don't know, I really really think, God helped me to kind of un- uncover that gift, um, sort of a, a, a life change in my early 30s, just a transition. Um, I had more, I had more time, and um, kind of the situation in my life forced me to be more creative with um, how I cooked, how I kept the house, how I, my budget kind of forced that, and so. As it went on, I realized, okay, I, I am, I do have that that not only that desire but that ability to um, to make to make my home beautiful, to prepare a meal, to like come up in my in out of my mind with something that um, that was new for me. And then I started thinking about it, and I realized I look back on all the things my mother um, did when we were. When we were young, uh, she could sew. She when I was when I was a little girl, we we didn't go to the store and buy, especially stuff for church. Um, if uh, if if we had a special dress for Sunday, or even even um, stuff in high school like um, for beauty pageants and prom dresses and stuff like that, she would try to she would try to make that up up to a point. She did. Uh, I guess at some point she just got tired of doing it. But she could sew. She was always doing some, taking some kind of little local painting class, which was a lot about, you know, being social with people in our community. But I look back, things my grandparents did, um, 
how how they gardened, how they laid out their garden. Um, and all of those things, I really didn't see it through um, the lens of creativity until I got older. And I thought, well, that's, you know, to a certain extent, we're all creative in some in some capacity. Right. Um, I think it's just too easy to say, well, because I don't have that talent or that gift. Um, I, th I think we miss out on the beauty of creativity when we when we write it off too quickly. I agree. And I think not only is embracing what your talent is, your creative talents good for you, but it benefits those around us. Mm -hmm. um, and in writing in particular, and you know, you and I have had this conversation so much lately. When I first started publishing books, you know, I did have this kind of dream that, oh, it was just going to take off. And, you know, the first book was going to be a huge bestseller, you know, and I was going to be traveling the world, signing books left and right and have a tour bus and, <laughs> you know, all those things. And probably the first two books, you know, I think I that was the mindset was, OK, this is going to be the big one or even an article or something like that, you know, well, this is going to be the one that gets picked up and, you know, gets to be syndicated more than in a regional magazine and that kind mm -hmm. of thing. But now I've gotten to the point that I write more for me and I write more for the loyal readership group that I have, you know, um, and it's not as much about commercial success. In fact, I try not to even think about that. I try to just exercise the talent and the creative muscle that I have been so blessed with. Um, and I think when you have a passion for what your talent is, it just makes it even more um, special. Mm -hmm. And God's really given, he's given us both um, a really interesting and significant talent to write and to reach people through our words. Um, and I, I do enjoy, you know, the compliments that come along with, publishing books or people reading my material or listening to a podcast. I do enjoy those compliments, but I do it to exercise the talent, mm -hmm. you know, more than to gain the feedback, mm -hmm. um, whether that be monetary or, you know, just verbal or something like that. So, but it's, it's always good to, you know, hear that somebody has been touched in some way by, you know, something that you've written. Well, and I think, you know, um, even beyond writing, you know, somebody may be listening to this right now and thinking, well, I'm that person that, you know, I'm, I'm not creative. I don't write. I don't, you know, I miss my mother so well, I don't sew. I don't do this. I don't do that. But I think, you know, what is that, what is that thing that you do? Is it, is it gardening? Is it maybe you, you're the best, um, hummingbird cake maker in, you know, North Alabama or whatever, whatever it is that you do, I think it's it's not the thing that we do that makes, that's really the at the heart of creativity. I think creativity is about how we do what we do and why we do what we do. Mm -hmm. um, because kind of the end of it, I mean, anybody can, anybody can produce a product. You know, you can you can learn how to plant a garden and go out and put some seeds in the ground and do whatever you, you have to do to, you know, make that grow and produce a harvest. So whether it's writing or, or music or art or whatever, I, I think the kind of creativity that that the world really needs, the kind that that um, that God has given us that really blesses each other, 
the focus has to be on, okay, how do I, how do I do this? You know, um, it's like you and your books, it's how you tell those stories and all those details that it makes people laugh and then it makes people remember their own story. Um, I mean, every time you tell a story, it reminds me of something that I hadn't thought about in 30 years, you know, so mm -hmm. it's how you do that and also why you do it. Um, your, your focus isn't just to, um, you know, check a box that, oh, I've written another book or I've made this much money. It's, I, I, I want to make people laugh. I want to make people think. I want to make people remember. So I think our motives and how we do what we do um, is really at the heart of, of what we create, whatever that is. That's so true. What, where do you think you find most of your inspiration? Um, well, I, you know, what you said about just wanting to use that, that gift. Um, I mean, I probably like you, I was raised with the mindset of if you've, if you've been, if you've been blessed with something, then, um, you steward it well. Um, uh, which means you take care of that, you nurture that gift but you also give it away. And so just to, you know, so every time, you know, if I write something, I remember that, um, you know, I've been blessed by other people's writing. I mean, there were there have been times in my life where I've read something, um, you know, maybe it was a devotional. I've read something that, that somebody else has written and it came, at, it, it was exactly what I needed to hear at exactly the right time. And, um, you know, God is in that. And so for me, um, cause there's always that, there's always that question of, well, you know, nobody's probably going to read this. It's not going to make any difference. It's not going to. And so it's really just kind of an act of faith to say, okay, I've been given this gift. My job is to steward it well. My job is to give it away. And so I'm going to do that. And then I'm going to let the Lord take care of the outcome of that. Mm -hmm. Um, because we can't always, I don't think we can always control the outcome. And a lot of times we just don't know. Um, we don't, we just don't know. I mean, it may be 20 years um, before, and it may be eternity before we really know the impact right. that we've had with just being uh, faithful with our, with our gift, our creativity. And I think we, you know, we make it sound like, oh, it's just, it is, it is, and it is a wonderful gift, but for me, there is a little bit of a downside to being creative, which, and, is. which is it causes me to overbook myself mm. because I feel like other than just, well, I'm a generally creative person other than just writing. I mean, I've been in the marketing world most of my career, and so I was always creating ad campaigns or marketing strategies, so... And I'm, I'm the planner in my household. I'm the cruise director, you know, among my friend group. So it's always something. I'm the marketing communications leader at my church. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's always something going creatively in my mind. And it causes me to do more than I intended to do or to, let's say, book myself for more. So I wanted to kind of talk about overbooking our lives. I'm sure that we have... Um, a lot of listeners out there that can relate to this, to overbooking themselves. 
and finding it difficult to really always pursue the things that they want to do, whether it's, you know, some talent some, um, or some hobby that they really enjoy, but they find themselves overbooked with just life in general. So I wanted to talk about that and I'll start by asking you, do you ever feel overbooked? Uh, not now, um, but that has been a problem that has plagued me for most of my life. And I think the primary reason was, first of all, I always, I've, you know, I have a hard time saying no. And I felt like if somebody asked me to do something, then I, I, I didn't question it. If somebody asked me to do something, I should say yes. And as I got a little older, I realized, well, because I was in the position of asking people to do something. So when you're in that position, you tend to ask people that you know will say yes. And so then I started thinking, okay, well, um, I, don't ha- I don't have to say, I don't have to say yes, there are other people. And I think it's important to remember this, we've heard this, we've all heard this, um, every time you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. Because we're, we're mm, very good point. You know, we, ca- we can't do everything. Um, so, I, you know, I don't, I just, when you're talking about overbooking, I think the sort of the uh, symptom of that, what you feel with that is the sense of overwhelm um, and anxiety, stress, worry. Um, so I, I, my first response when somebody asks me to do something now is either um, no, because it's always easier to go back if you've said no and say, you know, I've been thinking about that and I, 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 think, I, I think I can help with that. It's a whole lot easier after no to come back to yes than it is after yes to go back to no. Hmm. Good point. So I don't know how to say no. <laughs> I've been I've been doing this no. Like, it's I've, a complete <laughs> sentence. I've been volunteering myself and others since I was in elementary school. I can remember when the teacher would say, "Okay, we need a room mother for tomorrow," and I wouldn't even let her get the sentence completed before my hand was flung up in the air. And remember, I've said over and over, my mother w- worked third shift in the cotton mill. So the daytime was the time for her to sleep. But if I went home and said to my mother, um, they need you to be a room mother tomorrow at 10 a.m., she was right there. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and she would laugh it off and tell people, well, you know, Robbie volunteers me for everything. But she showed up for every every bit of it. And, I, you know, I look back now and I think how selfish of me to do that because there were other people whose moms stayed at home you know, and, um, were housewives maybe, and didn't, you know, didn't necessarily work outside the home and they could have probably completed that task a little more easily than, you know, my mother working a third shift job and then missing out on a day of sleep, but she was always right there doing it. And so I remember, I think back that I was always volunteering people to do things back then. Um, still today, I'm forever volunteering Paul to do things and and myself um and i i think that because you know i suffer from 
um, a mental illness because I live with bipolar disorder and I sometimes get really depressed. I think that overbooking myself keeps my mind occupied. And it also gives me something to look forward to, you know, with, with always something ahead of you that you've got to be on top of your game for. Um, maybe that's a reason why I do that. You're smiling because you're about to just cut me off at the knees, I think. No, no. I, you know, you and I have had enough conversations. And I think, I mean, I know what you're talking about. Because, you know, somebody asks you to do something and your first thought is, oh, that sounds fun. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to be a part of that. Um, and I, I think as far as, um, you know, having something to look forward to, that's true, but if we overbook ourselves to the point that we, we feel overwhelmed, that having something to look forward to can quickly turn into a sense of dread. Mm, it can. And and then you always feel behind, like I, I should have already, and I've got this, and I've got this, and I don't know how I'm going to get all this done. And when we start feeling that way, you know, there's a few things that kind of, kind of, happens to us from my own experience that having something to look forward to wanting to be helpful you know i start i start resenting the person that asked me in the first place um i start resenting myself that i can never say no um so there's just kind of some some um consequences to to that and um you know i think that can i so I, I I probably have asked you this before, but do you think that, I mean, I know you said why you say yes, why you commit to things, but what about it being, uh, we've talked about productivity before and how our, oftentimes our sense of self-worth is tied to mm. our productivity. Um, we we live in a, in a culture where um, it's the norm to say, oh, I'm so busy. I'm just busy, busy, busy. I've just got all this going on. And it may, I don't know, does that sort of make us look or feel like we're better human beings because we're busy, busy, busy? I think it does. I think it helps my self-esteem the busier than I am. I think it makes me feel more needed, you know, by people and... So that's, it's probably an adrenaline rush at times, but I do think you hit the nail on the head when you said sometimes it can, if we're not careful, it'll turn into dread. Um, you know, it'll turn into a situation where you're, you're thinking, oh, why did I agree to do this or that? Mm-hmm. Um, so you have, you have to be careful about mm-hmm. that. And, and I think if we do too much, it goes back to, we were talking earlier about creativity and stewardship and, um, if we do too much, we don't do anything well. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I have, I have found out, you know, over the years that it's it's really helpful for me to have this mental list of, and you know, a, a written list too of of priorities. Um, you know, uh, family, be, being being especially as a as a mom when my kids were home. Um, you know, nobody else could take my place doing that. 
Um, and I don't want anybody else to take my place doing that. Whether you work outside the home or not, mm -hmm. nobody can, nobody else can, can be mom, you know. Um, but I also had to remember, okay, well that, that thing that, you know, somebody's asked me to do at church, there's somebody else that can do that, you know. Um, so always had to, I always had to kind of weigh that. What's, what's it gonna, what's it gonna cost me long term? And of course we, I mean, we make sacrifices. That's a part of why we, we all, we all are always making sacrifices, but, um, I, I don't know. I just think, I think over committed, you know, becomes overwhelm and overwhelm can, you know, on the front end, it feels like, well, it's going to keep me busy. It's going to keep my mind busy. Um, but, but most of us know that that, that can turn into the complete opposite of that, the dread, mm -hmm. um, you know, being depressed about that, you know, that particular circumstance. So, um, you have to balance that and you have to learn to say no. That's true. Thank you for asking me, but no. Right. You know, I just, I have to be careful though about not becoming lazy. Mm. And I, I know that most people who know me would say, you're not, you're not a lazy person. You're always doing something. But I, I think I mean lazy mentally. Um, so if I'm not planning an event um, or stressing at my job or up against a deadline with a book, then I don't really, then it puts me in a situation where I get mentally lazy and sometimes that leads to, you know, a depressive cycle. Um, but I really like what you said, and I repeated this earlier, but I'm going to say it to myself over and over. Remember when you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. And I have a self-imposed deadline, you know, on this next book. Um, the cover is already in production. And I have this lady in the United Kingdom who's doing the cover for me. Mm -hmm. I'm really excited about that. It's going to be um, my first professional cover in, in, mm -hmm. since my first book mm -hmm. um, when, I, when I did traditional publishing versus mm -hmm. independent. So I'm really excited about that. It's going to look amazing. Mm -hmm. I'm excited with where the book's going, but I, I have to be able to finish that and see it across the finish line. Mm -hmm. um, so... I'm glad we had this little conversation about about being overbooked and overcommitted because um, I learned a couple of things and uh, a couple of principles there that I can apply to my life. And I'm sure that a lot of our, our listeners um, out there who find themselves uh, overcommitting uh, to things over and over, if they'll just say that to themselves as well, when you say yes to something, you're probably saying no to something also. So we... We we obviously have our, our special things that we need to be involved in, church events and mm -hmm. charities and things like that, but it doesn't mean that we have to become overwhelmed with it. So Well, and one of the things, I know we've talked about this before, um, one of the things that's helpful, I think, if, if you're a person who is prone to overcommit, you, you know, I think, I, I just think certain people have that personality type who they're more prone to overcommit. It's really helpful for me. I have someone in my life that when somebody asks me to do something, I, 
I always say to that person, um, that, that sounds like a great idea. Um, thank you for asking me, but, um, I'm going to need to talk to, and in my case, it's my husband. I'm going to need to talk to Eric, um, about that. And because I get caught up in the, oh, that sounds fun, you mm -hmm. know, um, and you ask me to do it and it makes me feel important and needed. But that space between uh, being asked to do something and, oh, that sounds fun, and then, oh, my goodness, I really don't have time to do that. I have no idea how to do that, and it's going to require more than I thought, which is usually the case with something. That space between and then talking to him, he reminds me of all the yeses I already have, the very important yeses. How will, how will that affect, you know, your commitment to finish the book you've started? How will that affect? And he asks me those, um, those questions that in the moment I, I don't remember to ask myself. So I, I think that's a really good, if we could all mm. have somebody in our life that we check in with before, if we're prone to overcommit, we could check in with somebody who will kind of call us back from the edge mm -hmm. and remind us of our, um, of the goals we've already set that we need to see through before we commit to something else. Very good point. Well, speaking of committing, I have Vacation Bible School coming up, mm. and I'm the director of that for St. Luke's Episcopal Church. It's coming up um, on July 16th. Um, we're doing a one-day VBS, so I was adamant about that, and I'm proud of myself for not stretching it out over three or four days, but we're doing a one-day VBS, and I'm so excited. The theme this year is called Make Waves, Changing the World Around You, and we are really teaching, going to be teaching the kids about loving loving their neighbors mm -hmm. as they do themselves. We've got lots of crafts, and we're doing a, since it's Make Waves, we're doing a Hawaiian theme, so we're decorating everything very tropical. And we have a special speaker, Kelsey Komasak, who's a senior at Jacksonville High School. She's going to do a fantastic job. So if you're in and around Jacksonville, July 16th from 2 p.m. to 5 p.m., and you can register your kids by calling St. Luke's Episcopal Church at 256-435-9271. So a little pitch there for okay. my VBS program coming up. So you were talking about bouncing ideas off of uh, a loved one to see if you can say yes or no. I guess for me, um, I would have to ask um, Sadie, Josie, and Cooper because they dominate my life more than <laughs> anybody. I'm in a three-dog household now. So it is, I don't know, I don't know how I got to this place, but... That dog has springs on his feet. Yeah, Josie does. She's, she's only eight months old. Oh. And she's about 55 pounds. Mm -hmm. She's a boxer. She's absolutely gorgeous. She has a beautiful coat, beautiful face. But I still have Cooper, who's a baby. I mean, he's 18 months old, so he's still very much a puppy and a boy and a part chihuahua, part corgi. So you can only imagine mm -hmm. the spunk of energy that he has. And then we have nine-year-old Sadie, who's just kind of chill, uh, except for her main bark. Um, but she's, she's pretty low key, but with a three dog household, you're, I mean, your time is occupied a lot when you get home. So, cause you don't, you know, I'm gone nine hours a day for work and I hate to just leave them 
in their crate all day long and then not spend any time with them when I come home. So I, I really learned to multitask. And if I were to ask them, can I take on more responsibility? They would say no, would for say sure, no. for sure. Well, I'm looking out the window here and it looks on one side like there's a couple of little storms maybe banking up. And speaking of storms, during the summertime here in Alabama, we get a lot of afternoon thunderstorms and evening thunderstorms. And it reminds me of, you know, talking a little bit about the storms of life that you face. So in our spiritual corner today, I thought we would talk a little bit about the storms of life. I can remember being a little kid and when a storm would be blowing in, my granny would sit on her front porch with her apron tied around her waist, her legs crossed, just rocking back and forth in her porch swing, whistling. And oh, it would just drive my mother crazy because in our home, we'd be running through the trailer, unplugging the TV, unplugging the VCR, unplugging everything that we could get our hands on to unplug and my granny was still just whistling and swinging back and forth and my mother would say I wish she would get in that trailer I wish she would get in her trailer and granny always she would always sit there and sing she'll be coming around the mountain when she comes and it it reminds me so much about the scriptures you know when they say don't worry about today because you know, there'll be enough more, enough trouble tomorrow. And that's just the mentality that my grandmother had. She always had this saying, God's going to take care of me. I don't have to worry because God's going to take care of me. Mm-hmm. And I think and when you face a storm in life, that's truly something that you have to keep in your mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was thinking about, um, and it seems like several different places this week, I ran across the story of... Um, from Matthew, I think it's Matthew seven twenty four about um, the man that built his house on the sand mm-hmm. versus you know on the rock, and um, you know there there are things that if if we we build our life on things that are that are changing, if you know whether it's uh, the economy or you know. Um, a job or a, those things are so many things that we we can't control and that and that may not be reliable when um, life gets hard but um, you know your granny um, her 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 life was built on faith um, something outside of herself she knew mm-hmm. that there was a limit um, to what she could what she could control what she could fix and so she had put She'd kind of built her her life on something else. So how she reacted in, in, in an actual storm with thunder and lightning and wind blowing was just a such a beautiful picture of um, probably how she lived her life and mm. how she reacted to the to the other storms in her life. That's absolutely true. I, I've never been inspired or touched more by human life than hers and i had her for 31 years Mm -hmm. and it's been it has been and always will be the greatest blessing Mm -hmm. that i feel like i've ever had so Mm -hmm. um as you listen to more and more from stacy and i we'll have a spiritual corner uh, in most of our episodes and if you um, have anything particular you'd like for us to talk about that about just post on my facebook page so stacy i've got to tell you before we go today about my first trip to bucky's 
okay? And I know some folks are probably smiling out there right now because our our area in um, East Alabama, we just got our first Bucky's. Mm-hmm. Have you been? I have not. I have not been to Bucky's, but. Um, well, you will after I, after this conversation. You're going to have to run in the jump in the car and <laughs> run down there. Okay, we'll see. Okay, so well, it's interesting because Paul's been trying to get me to stop at Bucky's for over a year, I guess. And I'm it's so many cars in the parking lot when you go by there. That's and why I don't stop. Exactly. I mean, that was me too. I I don't want to mix in there with all those hundreds of people and just be like little ants going around everywhere, right? I mean, it can't be that great. That's what I kept telling myself. And Right, That's what. but everybody tells me, oh, I can't believe you haven't been to Bucky's yet. Yes. But I might hold out. Well, so a few weeks ago, um, my mother is thinking of retiring um, later this year, and she works for uh, the university, so that's a state job. And so my sister and I decided that we would go straight to the source. We would go to Montgomery to the retirement systems of Alabama and have a meeting and let them uh, put my mother at ease and go over all of her retirement benefits and, you know, all those things. And so make a day trip of it. So we, my sister made us an appointment and we hopped in, hopped in the car and headed down there. And, And now my sister is, she's kind of pushy like I am, right? <laughs> so it, it's really like two people pushing against each other. So, you know, I said, well, I'll drive. And she said, um, okay, well, um, I'll lead the way. And so she tells me to go down 21, which is a state highway versus how I would normally go, which would be the interstate, right? Because I'm typically an impatient person. Mm-hmm. Okay, anybody who knows me knows that I'm pretty impatient. So, but I, I'm, I'm trying to keep my sister happy, trying to keep the trouble down, because there's nothing. It's nothing for the two of us to just tie up, you mm-hmm. know, over something small. So I, we head down 21. Well, we didn't get no more to Talladega before we hit construction mm-hmm. on a two-lane highway, and I could just, you know, I could feel. Uh, and by the way, my mother met me here at the house, and then we were picking my sister up on the way. Mm-hmm. And my mother immediately got in the back seat of the car. And I said, um, you don't want to ride up front? No. And I said, you don't even want to ride up front till we get to Becky's house? No. I said, why? She said, I'm not riding up front with you because I know how you are. And I know when you're going somewhere and you have your mind set on something, I know how you drive and I'm not riding up there with you. So, okay. Well, I I tried to make a mental note to be good, you know, at that point. So pick up my sister. Well, we didn't get out of her neighborhood before I let out a cuss word (laughs) at, at somebody who turned in front of me, you know. But anyway, we head down 21. We get to a couple of towns over Talladega. We hit construction. I can just feel, you know, the blood start to boil and, and, and raise up. So we get through that. We get to the next town. We hit construction on a two-lane highway. And it just, it, in my mind, I just keep seeing us being late, being late, being late. Because uh, nothing drives me crazier than to not be a punctual person, mm-hmm. right? It mm-hmm. goes with the impatience. But we end up... we. We make it there. We make it with 10 minutes to spare, which to me is late, by the way, mm. if you only have 10 minutes. 
But we get you should have left earlier. I should have left earlier. Mm-hmm. I did, and I thought we'd left in plenty of time. But let me just go on record as saying my sister determined what time we were going to leave. Mm-hmm. So I probably would have said that we should have left 30 minutes earlier. But I digress. So anyway, we and we laughed a lot, and we talked a lot on the way down. It was really the first time that my sister and my mother and I have been together in a vehicle where we're trapped together you know like that in so long so it was really you know it was really a good a good trip down there aside from you know me just gripping the steering wheel and um you know being a little tense because of the road construction and stuff like that but so we get down there we have a really good meeting um with rsa we get the numbers we feel confident you know about the next steps all those things so we're ready for lunch when we get out of there and we all, all three of us like seafood, right? So I knew that Montgomery had a Wenzel's. Mm-hmm. And so um, I wanted to go to Wenzel's. So we put it in the GPS. That's another place I've never been. Oh, you've never been to Wenzel's? Nope. Oh, you'll have to try that. See, you're way more city by the you'll have to <laughs> You'll have to take two pocketbooks with you okay. to go to Wenzel's. But, okay, I'll make that note. So we went to Wenzel's downtown in mm-hmm. Montgomery. And... You know, immediately, my mother looking at the menu, and she said, this is ridiculous. I've never, this is ridiculous, these prices. Don't worry about it. It's on me. I'm taking care of everything today. Just, you know, order what you want. Well, she doesn't know what to order Mm -hmm. in restaurants like that. She's, you know, very used to just, you know, eating around town. And the most um, experimental thing she does is Captain D's. That's her favorite. That's what I was going to say. Favorite. Yeah. Captain I mean, D's is her favorite. So, so I decided, so I ordered her a fish plate. So she, she said, the first thing she said was, well, it better have hush puppies. And I said, well, it's a fish plate. <laughs> I'm sure that it has hush puppies, right? Oh, yeah. So then the waiter, the server, excuse me, the server comes over and she said, I have a question for you. Does the fish plate have hush puppies? And he said, well, um, I'm not certain, but let me go check. And she said, well, what kind of fish plate wouldn't have hush puppies? And he said, I I think we probably do. Let me go make sure we have some today. So he scurries off in the kitchen and he comes back and says, yes, you'll get two hush puppies. So she's content with that. So we order her the fish plate. My sister and I decide to split um, this huge $30 oyster platter mm-hmm. that has all these oysters cooked a different way. And then we both had like a little bowl of gumbo or something with it. And so they bring out this big plate of shellfish and sit it, you know, oysters and sit it down between us. Well, my mother's eyes just get really, but she's never seen oysters before, um, much less seen anyone eat them. Wow. Exactly. And so she gets her phone out and starts taking pictures of us eating these oysters. And people all around us, by the way, have already heard the hush puppy conversation. So they're looking, you know, looking over at us and paying attention to these three people from who knows where. That don't get out much. That don't get out much. (laughs) So we we have a nice long lunch at Wenzel's where we make fun of each other and, Mm -hmm. you know, we... uh, where we run up my credit card really well and Mm -hmm. those things. And then we hop in the car. And so I put my foot down and said, we're going back the interstate period. We're not going to go back up 21 and all that mess. 
So we get on the interstate. So my sister says, well, you know what we can do since we're on the interstate. We can stop in Clanton for peaches. And my mother says, oh, and peach ice cream. Yes. So now we've already stuffed our faces at Wenzel's, but that's okay. We're all three fat and sassy. So we, we head up 65 and we stop off in Clanton. And mom is so happy, by the way. She is just, she is just content and just joyful and so glad she's got her two kids mm. with her and we're on this road trip. She's already talking about how she might put off retirement so we have to go back again. Wow. So we stop off in Clanton and we get she gets peaches and some tomatoes and things like that. And we um I, I so I have a new car and I wouldn't let them eat ice cream in the car. Mm-hmm. So we sat down in the little deli and had our ice cream, our peach ice cream, which was mm-hmm. delicious. Mm-hmm. It was so fresh and, and good. So we get back in the car and get back on 65 and my sister says, you know what we can do? <laughs> no, what can we do? We can go to Bucky's. Well, you know, all, all what goes on in my mind is the number of times I've said, no, no, I'm not going to Bucky's. No, mm-hmm. we're not stopping at Bucky's. But this is my sister. And I'm working really hard that day not to create an argument. And she's just, Bucky's this, Bucky's that, Bucky's this. She'd I'm, been before. She'd been before, okay. probably several times. And she really wanted my mother to see Bucky's. She wanted to share the joy. She did. She wanted to share that. So so we merge on to I-20, uh, you know, after driving for a couple of hours. And there, as pretty as you please, sits Bucky's down off in the little valley there at Leeds. So we... We pull into Bucky's and it's, I mean, it's covered up. And this is a Tuesday mm-hmm. at like 2 p.m., right? And it's slap covered up. Every, every gas stall is covered up and the parking lot is covered up. So we get out and so I take my phone out and I take a picture um, to make, make it clear that I'm in the parking lot of Bucky's. And so I text that to Paul who then replies back, what the hell, because I'm at Bucky's. And without him. Without him, right? So we go into Bucky's, and I'm amazed as we walk in the door. It is literally better than Walmart. It's mm. cleaner. It's, it's, there's everything there. My mother grabs a buggy going, going in the door. They actually have buggies at Bucky's, and she grabs a buggy going in the door, and is just wheeling it around everywhere, picking up T-shirts, and you name it. And I'm just, you know, I'm going through the deli, looking around. Just you wouldn't believe all the fresh food, mm-hmm. fresh fruits, and the deli sandwiches and stuff they have. They have brisket, fresh made brisket. I've heard about the brisket repeatedly from oh, people. Oh, well, it's amazing. Yeah. So. I picked up brisket sandwiches for supper that night um, because they look so good. Now they're like seven bucks a piece, but they're so worth it. The, I mean, the bun is well. They're more, that where well, they're more than that at Arby's. They are. They are. It's. I mean, it's fantastic. And then they have the um, these most amazing drink stations, slushy stations, mm-hmm. icy stations, coffee stations, mm-hmm. and then. The best thing about Bucky's ever is the bathroom. What? The bathroom at Bucky's looks like you are in the Plaza Hotel 
in New York City. I've never seen it. I don't even know that I could describe it for our, our listeners if they haven't been there. But it is it is the cleanest, most organized, and largest facilities that I've ever seen. They have like paintings hanging on the wall. Do you have to wait in line? No. You don't have to wait in line because there's endless numbers of stalls. and That might be the reason I stop at Bucky's right there. It needs to it's be. It's a good bathroom. It's great bathrooms. And every stall has its own floor-to-ceiling door. Mm. And then, of course, in the men's room, you know, they have the individual troughs. Mm-hmm. And then they also, it's just surrounded by stalls with, its, with their own private doors. Um, everything works. They keep it stocked. They have somebody in there cleaning constantly. It's amazing. So that's, if you have not been to Bucky's, you have to go. And I obviously, I've been back a second time uh, now that I went the first time. So I had to, to go back. I had to promise that I would go back okay. with Paul. So we did go back and, and spend a second time at Bucky's. So I, I implore you to go to Bucky's. I might do that. Um, Eric will love it. You, you, yeah, you. But I'm, I'm with you now. All those cars. I just want to go where the, where there's not very many people. But yeah, I agree. You know, one of the things that uh, while you were telling that story, one of the things that kept rolling around in my mind is just the importance of of enjoying the journey. I mean, everything we've talked about today. Um, it's really, you know, we all, we have these goals and we have this idea of how things are going to turn out and we have deadlines and we have appointments and all that kind of stuff. And, and those are important, but everything you said, it's like that, that, that trip to Montgomery and back, I mean, okay, the appointment in Montgomery, that was helpful. You learned something, but the best part of that whole day was the journey itself, the time with your mother and your sister. And and that's what you'll remember forever. That's what she'll remember forever. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I've just been sitting here thinking about that, how important that is um, in life is just to, is to remember that the, the journey is the most important part. You know, how, how, how we live, how we interact with people. Um, um, that's a good, that's a good, I needed that. That's a good reminder for me. So Well, good. Yeah. Well, this has been enjoyable, our first official episode together, and uh, can't wait till we do it again. Stay tuned for more content from Rob and Stacy on Deep South Humor and Heart.